welcome once again into the Soccer OG. Yes, I am back. Back from our road trip. Was in Austin with all the uh, fellow YouTubers. I felt like that uh, Steve Buscemi, uh, you know, gif. Hello, fellow kids. That's what I was. I was like the uh, chaperone out there, as Hercules Gomez pointed out on Twitter, uh, following them around. But I was back. It was, a, it was a great experience. And we're coming away with gifts for you on this podcast today. As always, a reminder to rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend everywhere. Tell them now because we have a really good podcast coming up at this very moment. There is a lot to discuss. Obviously, USMNT at the top of the list. Joining me in the business end, Filippo Silva, who is the tactical manager. We will discuss what the U.S. did in this window, how the U.S. looks, all the reaction from the Sergio Dest red card to the reaction from the U.S. after the red card following a massively disappointing defeat to Trinidad and Tobago. Ahead on Check Complete, we will be looking at the summer of soccer, the Euros field, and news about the Copa America starting to come into view. That field is getting closer to being determined. We'll start the preview right now here in November. This is the Soccer OG. It is great to have you on board. For the listeners here in the United States, happy Thanksgiving, and I hope this is part of your holiday weekend. For everyone all over the rest of the world, and I know you're out there, the show starts right now. It is time for the rundown. And yes, we will save the USMNT conversation with tactical manager moments away in the business end. Stick around for Check Complete, where we will discuss the Copa America, the Euros, the qualifying, almost complete for UEFA and the Copa America. Just a couple loose ends. We know where the finals going to take place. We know where the curtain raiser is going to be, the semifinals too. We'll get into all of that in Check Complete in just a moment. Still plenty to discuss here with regards to what's happening in the world of football. Big international break. I know we're feeling that in Major League Soccer. We're getting ready for the conference semifinals. My club, LAFC, I will be in Seattle. So uh, take a look for me out there. If you're with LAFC or the Sounders, would love to say hello. This is going to be an epic matchup. Many feel it is an MLS Cup within the MLS Cup playoffs. So you kind of have two MLS Cups, right? Whatever the MLS Cup's going to be, and you have LAFC Seattle. I think it's going to be like 40,000 fans up there at Lumen Field. It's going to be tremendous. You have Houston Sporting Kansas City. Those are the Sunday games. Saturday, Cincinnati, Philadelphia, and then Orlando facing Columbus. My MLS Cup pick from the beginning was Orlando over Houston. That is still intact. We'll see if that continues. Uh, I hope I don't have to go on Twitter anymore and see people complaining about the playoff format. I know they are. Uh, get over it. That's in our rearview mirror. Let's start looking towards these games. But, you know, that is the world we live in. People just want to complain and complain and complain and kind of miss some of the good stuff that's there. It's not perfect, I know. I know we have a lot of work to do, and I'll talk to Tactical Manager about that. How do we get more people to tune into our game? Because even though we have a lot of positives, it still is, you know, not getting out to the masses, which it should. And it's a great product, whether it's MLS, U.S. soccer, maybe not U.S. soccer right now, but we'll get there. And the Euros, Copa America, the Premier League, you name it. Uh, we got to get more people involved. So... 
Uh, very exciting uh, discussion uh, looking forward. Check out my YouTube. I forgot to mention that earlier. As I will have a video coming out shortly, breaking down what happened with Serginho Dest and how much do we blame Greg Berhalter from that game. We'll also put a, a bow on the Nations League qualifiers. Got Mexico playing tonight. Uh, I'm recording this on a Tuesday. You may be listening to this on a Wednesday, Thursday, but we'll have all the Copa America stuff uh, wrapped up at that point. So I did want to, I saw something incredible this weekend. I'm sure many of you did as well. And that was the F1 race in Las Vegas. It's a 10-year deal there. This was year one. It was part spectacle. It was part shit show, quite frankly. And But, you know, they had these drone shots where it looked like Super Mario World racetrack because you had the strip, then you had the sphere. It, nothing looked real, but it was. And these cars were spinning out. I mean, the commentator at the beginning was saying, this track looks really dirty. Not the first time they've said that about Las Vegas. But dum bam <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger. Uh, it just reinforced me something about the World Cup and how we in the United States, look, we're not a historic soccer country. We don't have stadiums where you roll in and you get washed over with history like the Maracana, the Morumbi, or the San Siro, or Old Trafford. Wherever that is, we don't have that. Even the newer stadiums have a history there. The new, even the new camp with the new Bernabeu, they have, they have something that we don't and we can't fake it. What we have is the ability to create a spectacle, which what we did in F1. And I know that the Allegiant Stadium in Vegas wasn't had the the parameters for FIFA's World Cup. And I know the same has been about SoFi. And last we left SoFi, we heard that LA is out of the World Cup. And I truly, mark my words, I think this is going to be a moment in time. Stan Kroenke played hardball with FIFA. And FIFA, looking at what happened with F1, and, and we'll talk to the tactical manager, and F1 is doing everything right, PR, marketing. You'd be crazy not to imitate them. I don't race. I don't like car racing. I watched it and I turned it off because I was bored to tears watching cars go around and the noise hurt my head. But they're doing a lot of things right. So FIFA would be insane not to look at that. When I, I figure if you're going to make two big spectacles, you have games in Los Angeles. I think there's still going to be games in Los Angeles despite what we're reporting. Stan Kroenke's digging in his heels. He wants a piece of the pie. And FIFA knows they has to have games in Los Angeles. And it has to be at SoFi, who could have the biggest spectacle. And I fly over that. I flew in this morning. I flew in from Orlando. And you fly over that stadium, and you're like, wow. You know, the airport's right next to Inglewood where the stadium's at. And you need to have games. You need to have games in Las Vegas. I know that's not going to happen. I know this has already been done and dusted. But the World Cup, you can be cute and have games. And all due respect, in Kansas City and... Philadelphia and all that it brings to, and we have history in some of these places, fantastic. But you you don't ignore what's happening, certainly out west with those two cities and the sports culture they're creating and the millions of tourists that they can bring in even more so. And that's where the visitors want to come. They don't come to the U.S. to see a classic San Siro tilt or a, a bash at the Bernabeu. They want to see Mickey Mouse in his glory. They want to see... A spaceship land. That's what we do. We're we're showmen in the United States, so we got to put on the best show. And I hope FIFA is paying attention. 
The Copa America, we'll get into that here in a little bit, but they announced that the final is going to be in Miami. We'll talk more about that. The Euros are done. There were a few injuries. Uh, Gavi is the big one, uh, picking up a, a, a pretty massive injury there that's going to keep him out, and obviously horrible news for Barcelona. But this is what we have. And uh, the international break, by and large, has been good. Uh, Norway, they're not qualifying. We early holiday. <laughs> you could expand the Euros and the World Cup as much as you want. I don't think Norway is finding a way in, which is disappointing. But that's kind of the thing we're getting. But we had international play. Uh, Panama, how about them? Just throttling Costa Rica to book their spot in the... Uh, the Copa America and the Nations League semifinals. I also watched the under-17s. Uh, nice effort from the kids there. They lost to Germany, who are a powerhouse. They kept tr- coming from behind. Uh, it was just it was a frustrating game, but they put in a good effort. I just wish one day we'd see one of our youth teams or any of our men's teams really make the breakthrough for a semifinal or better. That time will come. I don't know if it's going to be the USMNT, but that time will come here at some point. This is the Soccer OG. Always great to have you with us. Coming up, my conversation with Filippo Silva, tactical manager in the business end about what happened in Trinidad and what we are looking forward towards in 2024. And also, how do we help content? How do we create better content for the soccer consumer here in the United States? This is the Soccer OG. We are back. Time now for the business end, and we welcome back a gentleman who's been on this uh, by himself with me. Uh, he's been here as part of a World Cup preview with 11 Yanks, Pete, and now we welcome back. And I will say this about Filippo, tactical manager, because we, uh, we'll we talk a little bit about our trip to Orlando. Uh, pardon me, our trip to Austin, <laughs> where we got to watch the U.S. team and be there for all the regalia. We, I had to fly to Orlando afterwards, so I was on the same flight because that's his hometown. So he was a couple rows behind me, and I waited when he, when he came out, and they gave us some U.S. gear. And true to himself, when he walks off the plane, Filippo has got that giant scarf draped around him, still in USA mode, man. It was quite a vision. It was great to see you like that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> look, regardless of how the win was, which the win in Austin was, it's weird. It was a disappointing 3-0 win. Uh, I'm always proud to be rooting for this national team, regardless, um, in the country that we live, the country that we love. So for that, if I could dress like that, I would, even though, depending on where you go abroad, you might not want to dress too American, but in the U S yes, I'll, I'll go full American here. And we, and, and we've talked about it. Hey, by the way, you prefer Filippo or Tack? It can be Filippo. That's where I'm more accustomed to. Tack know, seems like to be more like Pete and Twitter. It's, <laughs> it's, it's all about branding. And I know some, you know, your platform, which we'll talk about it, you know, very critical and, and rightfully so a lot of times about U.S. soccer and, and Greg Berhalter. But if all things went well and they were winning games for Zip, I know for a fact, because we know some people are like, oh, well, the U.S., I, I can't pull for them if this. If they if they turn around, no one would be happier than you. Of course. I mean, it. it even in it, last year, I think it was mainly I think Alexi was pushing this narrative that a lot of people that criticize they wanted the U.S. men's national team to fail because they wanted Burhalter down. The thing is, that's one of... Sure, I can't speak on behalf of yeah. all fans, but... And there, there's, there's, all, we can't be naive. There's some people out there like that. Yeah, there's some people that might actually want the team to fail just to get Burhalter out. Uh, but I'll, I'll speak on my behalf. One, if I didn't have the YouTube channel, I still wouldn't want the team to fail 
Uh, and I think as fans, as someone that's grown up with this game in, in different countries too, fans usually hate the coach. Uh, <laughs> just so leaving true. it clear. Fans, so like, I, I, Palmeiras has the most, like Abel Ferreira has won more trophies with Palmeiras than he, he has the, any other coach in history in like three or four years. And you see some fans like pissed off, wanting him out. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, uh, you also, like myself, anyone that makes content and covers the game or in one way, shape, or form, whether it's podcasts, YouTube, media, um, Twitter, you benefit from this team being successful. You will grow more, like not just the financial gains, but just like you will grow from the success of this team. So there's absolutely no scenario where do I want Burhalter or do I think out? Yes, I think we have better options. But you'll never have me rooting against this team because of, from a personal standpoint and even a professional standpoint, for both reasons. Yeah, I think it would skyrocket if the U.S. were a top 8, 10 team. They're ranked that way. They're not playing that way. But if they were and they're making World Cup quarterfinals and people are watching the games here in the United States, it's great for the people that are creating content from before that happens. So that's very well put, uh, Philippe. And I want to talk a little bit about more how we present the game because it's it's coming from so many different angles and some good stuff, some stuff that needs some fine tuning, but I think you're a great person to talk to about. Uh, but we're also here. And I, I also want to mention, because I was watching Filippo at the USA TNT game in Austin and this guy's living on every play, head in hands if a goal doesn't get celebrating when it does. Uh, it's He's a proper fan and I, I appreciate it. There's They're that. not going to go through the curse words, right? Those are out. No. I mean, it was, it was, we were, everyone was on every play. It was awesome to watch. There was like 20 of us who were part of the YouTube uh, group. I was glad to be included because uh, I, I, I would love to do more YouTubes. It's such a wonderful outlet and a great place to get it off, but it was great to be included. And everyone was really into it. So we enjoyed that. That was part of the window. We want to, I wanted to talk a few things about what we saw. Uh, the USA have wrapped up their 2023 year and three big windows, which I think we agree was nothing to um, scream at the top of the mountaintops in September, October, November, and certainly with the loss of Trinidad and Tobago last night. Uh, your thoughts, uh, I, I want to go over some of the key points, but just what we saw in these two games against TNT, I know we talked about would be love to mark these games, get five, six goals, much the way Panama did over Costa Rica and say, all right, we're feeling good. They qualify for the Nations League. They qualify for Copa America. That was priority one. Uh, but what do we take about the way they did it? Yeah, it's... There's multiple ways to look at this. There's the positives and the negatives. It's not all negatives. It's not all positives. Obviously, qualifying is 100% a positive. It's, but to be fair, I think we can all agree also that it was the bare minimum, eliminating Trinidad. Like anything short of eliminating them would have been an embarrassment. So that's the first thing to get out of the way. And let's focus a little bit on the Burhalter era 2.0. Let's ignore everything prior to that, which was One Nations League, lost Gold Cup. Uh, Burhalter, what did he improve from the previous cycle? I think the rosters have been far better. I think he's been picking mainly the most talented players, the, the highest quality, and trying to work uh, around with these players. The starting 11, I also, like, maybe I have one player here and there. We're like, oh, I prefer this guy. But it's nothing that was, like, would drive any fan insane. Like, in the past, we would see, like, um, like a Paul Riol over Tim Weah, that people go crazy for that. It, any of the little things he changed is like, oh, Carter Vickers or, or Chris Richards. It's nothing that anyone will will go bananas for. So that's been fine. Uh, so he improved from that. Issues that we've seen. I haven't seen, I still haven't seen Burhalter have that feel for the game and been able to make 
make it like change the game as a coach. We've seen those with like some very good coaches where they make like two substitutions completely changes the dynamic yeah. of the game. Burhalter, it's either not the right substitution or sometimes it is the right substitution, but it's like super late. And you're like, why didn't you do this 20 minutes ago? Everyone was seeing it. So I, I don't know if it's because, because here's the thing. We know Burhalter is a little bit of a soccer nerd. He likes to use advanced analytics, data, which is fine. That works when you're putting a starting 11 and all that. But in the game, a lot of it is instinct. It's your gut right there. It's like what you're seeing and you have to, because you don't have the time to process all that. The, every second you're thinking is a second that the, the clock is going on the game. So you have to sometimes just trust your feel, trust your gut and make that change and hope it works. Believe in yourself. So I don't know if he doesn't have that feel for the game. It just takes him too long to figure things out. Or he just doesn't really trust his guts. And then when he thinks of something, he keeps overthinking it, overthinking it, overthinking And then he does the sub like at minute 66 or 70. And you're like, that was like so obvious earlier. And, and I don't know what it is. So the in-game management is still a big issue. And then I'll let you talk a little bit about it. Otherwise, I'll keep talking about this for too long. <laughs> I thought the personality overall of the team, um, the way they behave on the field is something worrisome. Not specifically singling out Dest. But the behavior of all players was a bit worrisome. Dest in a childish manner. The other players, it didn't seem like anyone had any fire in them to really call out the team and push the team forward, get everyone wired like a Jermaine Jones would do, a Clint Dempsey would do. It felt like, sure, there's the talent, but who's going to shake up this team, wake them up? Clearly not Burhalter. It doesn't fit his personality to do so. And none of the players stepped up with that. So that was extremely disappointing from both the coaching staff and the players. As you, know, I, as you know, I'm not going to be as critical as Berhold, and I think he's done a lot of good things from the World Cup to building this team into the group that we see now, which is he's empowered that younger generation, which we all wanted to see, and I think he's done it. Uh, everything falls on his lap, and he has to find that right group. And I agree with you. That personality it was really evident in that game last night where you wanted someone to take the game by the scruff of the neck and you don't really have those players that might be an indication because you're transitioning from this generation the, the makeshift generation which included all those mls players that were on that world cup roster to help see the path for this group to kind of take the leadership roles uh they haven't done it but uh, to your point uh that to me again is something greg berlter has got to discover and i saw tab ramos mentioning how some of these guys haven't developed and that's also on greg berhalter as well so while i i'm i i'm confident well no, i should say confident but i'm uh positive on a few things that greg berhalter has done with regards to the personnel i think i put that number one in seeing that team develop and i was hoping to see that in november and i would have been here and saying greg berhalter you see the results but it didn't happen and that game last night especially with the desk red card we saw things unravel quickly and the reaction of what do we do if something bad happens which it did was really alarming and I, I will get back to the adjustments but the Sergio Dest thing is fascinating I will say and I tweeted and I was my emotions were on my sleeve Filippo because it was I've never seen anything like that in U.S. soccer history a meltdown and very rarely on the world stage we're back-to-back -back yellow cards you don't see where somebody punts the ball out, blows kisses, clearly flexing at his teammates, not cooperating. And it it destroyed that game. I mean, the adjustments had to be made. Uh, I would believe that the players were affected. Tim Marine was affected. Matt Turner, who 
really should have saved both those shots. We saw him yelling at Serginio Dest and then Tim Ream coming in and, and really laying into him and how disappointing it is. And I was angry and I, and I'll, the Serginio Dest thing about, you know, people are saying, how should he, I think he probably shouldn't play in the, he's not going to play in the first nations league game. I think he probably doesn't play in the second game. Just he's on the roster. Maybe he sees, I think the U S is better with him. So we need him to come in there, but I think there's something there that we need to uh, look at him and fix. But when I woke up this morning, Philippe, I kind of changed. And I was like, I, I felt bad for Serginio because of the, level of what he did and i i I don't know if that's a scream for help because that's not normal behavior and i i almost feel like as as critical as i was not that he's paying any attention to my tweets or his his teammates were probably his coach was i mean i feel like now we have to kind of put our arm around him i'm a little worried about it because i don't know what's going on yeah it was weird because it wasn't even a moment of a heated exchange it was we were up on aggregate four zero so you should be very calm at the game, composed, right? It wasn't like the game was tied and everyone's nervous. You should be very calm. You're up 4-0. And it was just like a, a bad call from the ref, I guess, from a throw-in. It wasn't anything major, a penalty kick. And he just acted that way and confronting his teammates. I don't think he should be out of the next roster. He's obviously suspended of the semifinals. And, and the next game is also very far. So there's many months from there. I think Burhalter has to keep in touch with him quite a bit try to understand what's going on. You might be right. There might be something going on there. Who knows? They're all humans at the end of the day. Uh, but I, I would not have an issue with him being benched for that window. Let, let's say we make it to the final, which I think we will, and regardless of who we face, you start Scally, Des, you're coming off the bench, and if we need you, you're going to put it in. But uh, you lost some credibility. You some, lost some trust because you got a red card in two decisive games this year. One against Mexico, which sure, that one he was provoked, but I still think provoked or not, he should have just walked away. And he retaliated with the Mexican player. So, yeah, I'm not for banning him from the national team. I think he should be in the next roster. He's our best right back, very talented player. But if he was benched, I wouldn't really say it's an issue with that. Forever, yes, that would be an issue because I still think he's better than Scali. But if Burhalter decides to in Nations League, okay, I'm going to keep Des on the bench. Maybe I'll put him in the second half. We'll see how the game's playing out. Um, I would not actually have an issue with that. Pretty much to send a message like, Serginho, you apologized. I hope you really regret it. But you're going to have to earn our trust back. You're going to have to behave, focus, understand. That was very immature, which I'm sure he he will get over. There's also many, many months for the next one, and, and he'll have a lot of time to reflect on that. And I got a lot of uh, neutrals reaching out to me going, what the heck happened there? That was, and you know, throw the book at him. And I was like, yeah, you can't do that. But I, I, this is a very delicate moment. I think there's a lesson to be learned here, and you got to be stern, and but you've got to, you know, extend that olive branch in case there's something more at play. That's just something I woke up this morning and I thought it was because it was so weird. Now, if L, if the United States go on to win this game one nil, one settle, and it wasn't pretty, but they win the game, everyone I think will be in pretty good spirits. And we're like, okay, we, we got to win away, which is one of the big issues for Greg Paulter. It's, it's a real issue because uh, even though the Copa America is going to be here, 
and the Nations League semis are going to be here, and I would imagine they're going to do well. And no, if he doesn't do well, nothing's going to happen with, to Greg. Uh, he has a long rope here, so that will definitely go throughout 2024 at the very least, unless the bottom falls out. But winning on the road was big. So if they win one zip, it's good. So now this second big moment of the game occurs. And I'm okay with Gio Reyna on a minutes restriction. He hasn't played. Look, Matt Turner hasn't played. And I would you, you'd agree that that was part of the reason why he didn't look so sharp with um, Matt Turner? Yes and no, because remember Turner was he was on the bench for Arsenal and he would come play for us and he looked yeah. sharp. It might be a bit of a confidence issue because he did make some crucial mistakes for Nottingham Forest. It might be more confidence because he wasn't playing for us. Remember, and he came into the World Cup, looked just fine. Chris Richards didn't see the action this window. Part of it has to be because he's not playing at club. And then Gio Reyna is the third big one there. Uh, but he played. But they you know, put a lot of responsibility on a the guy there. So I understand if you have a minutes restriction. And this is all hindsight because I said, okay, it makes sense to pull him off and they leave the two number nines. I saw Andres Cantor's tweet. He really took – you know, Andres, is, that's not normal for him really. I think it was a mistake from Greg. I can yes. talk about that. I thought about that quite a bit. Talked about it yesterday. Talked about it today again with Pete. And, um, I, and, and I'll let you I'll finish. I, I'd agree with you. I think he should have played this differently. Yeah, I think uh, let's, let's reflect that moment again. We had a 1-0 lead and we just got a red card. And there weren't many minutes left in the first half. I think there was like five minutes left plus at a time. So probably like 10 minutes or so. The goal right there should have been let's take this 1-0 lead to halftime. Talk it out figure it out and get this win. Like, but right now we can't allow Trinidad to score and catch some momentum coming into the locker room. Perfect. So as soon, we know Gio is going to get subbed out at halftime. And like you said, I also think that is okay. I think Gio Reyna being healthy for the long term is more important in this game because we were going to go through with or without Gio as we did go out, go through without Gio. But Gio could have stayed for the entire first half because that was the original plan. What he should have done, Burhalter, is take out Pepe or Balgan. Honestly, I don't really care which one it was. After was the it? red card. After the red yes. card, yes. After the red card. Balgan or Pepe. I would probably keep Balgan, be not because he was playing better than Pepe, because I don't think either one was really standing out. Just Balgan's a bit more dangerous in transition, which is probably how we would play. So I'll take out Pepe. Even though I wouldn't die on this hill, I wouldn't care if he kept Pepe and took out Balgan. And put Joe Scout. So you recompose your defense, and you keep the midfield as is. Gio Reyna was controlling the tempo of the midfield, helping us hold possession, and connecting some good balls here and there. Just He was literally much more crucial than people give him credit for in that midfield. He was the one dictating the tempo. So what I would have done would have been that, and finish the first half like that. We probably would have held the 1-0 lead, controlled possession a bit more, wouldn't have scored. And then at halftime, you take out Gio, and you put Tillman. That is like the closest one we have to that like playing style of controlling the tempo, holding possession, good, like can do a line-breaking pass, can connect and maybe, you know, provide an assist, whatever. That's what I think he should have done. He didn't do it. He kept two up top, and I've never seen this in my life. I've never seen a coach lose a defender from a red card, have two players up top, and he takes out a midfielder while being up, while winning the game. I've never seen this in my life. I, I think he didn't think it straight. He was just like, well, I got the 1-0 lead. Didn't respect the opponent. I got the 1-0 lead. They're not going to score. I'm going to have to take Gio at halftime anyway, so I'll just take Gio out. I think that's literally what went through his head, and it came back to bite him, and that's why he lost again. So lost away in CONCACAF again. Serginho Dess's red card was the pivotal moment that led to our loss, but the in-game management and the weak mentality of a lot of the players in this match that didn't really step up 
is why we lost. Yeah. And, and let me just jump on that because I think what happened was that right after the Dest goal, and we could say who is on the hook for this, but right after sorry, the Dest red card, the players were down. And uh, they wanted to get to the half. They were rattled. And that's why Rion Moore was able to, to pull level. That said, uh, I, I think more than in anything than the adjustments, which I agree with you, the, the what you said were the adjustments that should have been made. Scally comes in for Pepe and then Tillman at the half for Gio Reyna or maybe the 50th minute. Probably the half is fine and then you have a nice formation. I think that makes sense. I think most experts would agree. That was a misstep by Berhalter. I think the goal came because the U.S. weren't ready, but that's a different issue here as well. And uh, there's a that's something that I think is the next page where we talk about where is this team mentally. They were at a height at the Nations League back in June when they beat Mexico and Canada. They're not there now, and obviously they're missing some key players. But, you know, we mentioned those subs. You look at the bench, and I'm like, how many of those guys on that bench could you bring in? And this is... This is part of a talent issue. I think it's like the it bottoms it, it it bottoms out a little bit with regards to guys that you can rely on. We'll get there building it, but um, the reaction there and then what you have with players, it's it's not a, an embarrassment of riches if you need to make those adjustments. No, and I think also it's a getting a feel for the game when you're down a player. You need players that are very that have a very high soccer IQ. IQ understand how to control the tempo of the game, possession. And I'll give you an example of one player that absolutely doesn't know how to do that. That's Brendan Aronson. Brendan Aronson doesn't know how to change the tempo. He's just 100 miles an hour the entire match. Running not, wait, wait, but that, we, we, that's not the worst thing to have, right? Because I saw people well, go to Brendan, and I saw, I mean, it, he, it's not perfect, and he turned the ball over a bit, but I I, I didn't mind the fact that he's but, going but when at you're, him. When, you're, when you have a 1-0 lead and you want to maybe, sure, he wasn't going to sub out Brendan right there at that moment, but... You need to have, as a player, the understanding of when you sometimes slow the game down. Like, even for your own team, calm it down. Don't let the game get too chaotic. Chaotic is better for offense, right? Chaos is better for who's trying to score. Because when both teams are very organized, composed, the game is slower. You saw that in Austin. When the game little, is slower, it was slow. In, I mean, it was that field as well, but it got pretty slow in that second no, no, game but, too. But look at Austin. Look at the game at Austin. The field was great. When the game was slow... We really struggled to score. But here's the thing. We were making the game slow ourselves because the United States was moving the ball very slowly, especially in the first half. But Trinidad was always slowing the game. How were they doing it? They were falling down, wasting time. That cools off the game. That slows down the game. That makes it harder for you to score. You can't catch momentum. Now, when Brendan Aronson's just running 100 miles an hour every single time, can't hold possession for three seconds, either gets fouled or just loses the ball – like that's just like being a soccer player, being smart about it. Sometimes you see that, Max, you covered the Libertadores and you see that so much in those games of like players that know how to time waste and hold the ball up top and just they understand when they need to waste time with the ball, not just rolling around and when they need to really go for it with verticality straight to the goal. That's something I don't really see our players having that understand with some exceptions. Christian Pulisic has that. Giorena has that understanding. These are players that have a very well-developed soccer mind because I guess they've been at the highest level for so long with brilliant coaches, brilliant players. Some of them grew up with soccer parents, like Giovanni Reno, when you talk about him, he grew up with two parents that were players, right? Or played, right. one played in a very high level, at least his father. So all of that helps. And a lot of these players, they don't seem to have that mindset. They don't really understand it. 
Uh, is it their fault? I don't know. It's something that maybe Burhalter needs to give them some guidance because Burhalter did play and did play in a high level for multiple years. He's very old in regards to soccer. Um, not saying he's old because then you're going to come after me too if I say Burhalter. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm just saying that it's about having a feel for the game. And sometimes it's not just about how much technique you have. Like go to the World Cup, Brazil and Croatia. That's what Neymar was bashing Fred for. He was saying, dude, we're up 1-0 with five minutes left. Why are you going up top? Just give me the ball. Let me waste the time here. You just stay back there. And if I lose the ball, you're ready to get it back. So that's soccer IQ. That's understanding the game. And these players that are world-class, high level, it's not just technical ability. It's not just like a sharp mentality. It's also like they're extremely smart about the game. Are they life smart? I don't know. But about the game, they know they they read the game like no one else. And our players don't seem that way for the most part. Not all of them. For I, the most I, part. I think that's more of a cultural thing. And I don't think yes. we're going to get much better at that because we, uh, <laughs> we don't have... We don't have that wherewithal built into us. I don't know where it's going to come along the development. I hope it does. And you could throw the dark arts in there. And I, I would, I was yeah. LAFC played Tigres, right, in the Campeones Cup. And at the end of that game, Tigres were on it, you know, time wasting, playing the ref, getting under the skin of the opponent. It all worked. It all worked. And they win it. And I think that's something we have to develop. I just don't know where it's going to come from because it's just something with not culture. He's not in. It's not really in our coaching ranks. Uh, you know, you mentioned Gio Reyna is a unique circumstance. And Christian Pulisic has been in Europe since he's diapers. But there's that kind of the, that 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 little thing that we can't put our I, hand on. We just don't. I have I think it one. It's not going to change now. It takes years. But the way it'll change is we're, we're now soccer is becoming bigger here. So there's more professional players that are former More high stakes are, they're involved in the game like they're older they're involved so they will pass that to the younger generation and it'll get better another thing that can happen is major league soccer getting more involved with Comibol because you get exposed to that culture that you just talked about the dark arts Comibol is like that it's like a different that's why when we talked about once of like uh, I watch a lot of Libertadores and people didn't understand what I said. I said, the MLS teams are better, easily better, the top MLS teams, than the bottom of the Libertadores. Easily better. Easily better. Can they get out of their group? From a technical standpoint, I would say a lot of them could. But then comes the second question mark. Can they adapt to that culture and what they're going to face, the adversity? A lot of them would struggle when they go down there. But if you play there long enough, 10 years, five years, five seasons straight, you start to understand how to win games in that environment or how to get those dark cards and how to deal with it, not lose your mind. Uh, it's not just about your technical ability, your your tactical ability, like understanding. It's like all of that combined, which American soccer still lacks. And, and it shows with our players, unfortunately, still. It does show. Let me, let me ask you that about, because it's really interesting, because I agree with you, The the really the only hope for us to compete with the top European teams, compete with Argentina Brazil is to join forces with Come Bowl. There's so much red tape involved. There's so much money involved from the, the federational perspectives that it's hard to think that they would merge. The fact that we have this Copa America is this gift, right? But we want it to happen all the time. How do you, how do we get those relationships to build? To me, the only thing I, I know, there's things that I, 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 I don't know you're being, uh, from South America, certainly you have an insight to what they're looking for. First and foremost, and you may not want to hear this part, Filippo. We need Mexico and USA to do really well 
in the in the form of Mexico because we we need first of all if Mexico doesn't qualify for Copa America and they will. That's not going to help this process. We need them to go there and make uh, some noise, and then we have to see the South Americans say, "Hey, there's money to be made out there." Because Mexico's where the money's at right now. The U.S. is coming around Canada to a lesser degree, but we need them to do really well and show that that is elevated when you have Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, Colombia, Ecuador, and then USA, Mexico, and maybe another CONCACAF team. It, it, how do you? What are the elements in your estimation where maybe five, ten years that relationship is is firm and we can compete with UEFA? Yeah, I think. Competing with UEFA is complicated. It's hard to project 10 years from now, 20 years from now, what will happen. Uh, in regards to Comebol, it's all about money. If they feel like sure. they can profit out of this, that's literally it. If they feel like they can profit, they're not caring too much about the competitiveness. They know that Comebol on its own already can provide a competitive environment enough for Brazil and Argentina to compete for World Cup trophy. And even Uruguay. Uruguay is looking very interesting right now, by the yeah. way. By the way, you're, uh, I mean, I was, because this president and elect in Argentina, I was talking to my Argentine friends about how their mm -hmm. ec economy is so poor. And we were looking through some things. I'm just bored out of my mind sometimes, Filippo. The Uruguay economy is doing very nicely, despite being our next Argentina. So it's doing well. Brazil's economy is very strong. So there's a... Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, these teams... They are self-sufficient. Like, Comebol can compete with itself. In Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay will still go to the World Cup and compete with the best European nations. They're going to bring up saying Brazil hasn't beat them in 20 years. Like, 20 years in the World Cup is actually not that much. How many teams win a World Cup in 20 years? It, like, it's not that many. So, going on from that, um, it's money. Like, as long as they can get money, and, and Comebol is like, wow, this is actually very profitable. Playing the United States, involving Mexico, Canada, the U.S., this is profitable. We should do this more often. I did talk, however, to a U.S. soccer official. Well, you saw it when we were there on the field. Yep. Uh, the the uncomfortable talk we had a little bit, but I, uh, I kind of put you guys together, have a chit chat, see what you can work out. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it was, and then you guys. I think it was uncomfortable for us and uncomfortable for him. But at the end of the day, maybe it's productive, maybe not. Time will tell. But I asked him a question, and he did uh, give a straight answer for it. I asked him if this Copa America was a one-off thing or is it something they're talking about doing it continuously to which Good he question. replied Good question. yeah to which he replied he said obviously it's not in US soccer's power right it's CONCACAF and CONMEBOL US soccer just provides the country but before you get to that you need to have an agreement between CONCACAF and CONMEBOL and he said that he thinks it's a one-off thing that can happen again but it, it's definitely not already it's no. not something they're signing off to be continuous every four years right which is bad news from what we're talking about and that's what i unfortunately that's what i thought because it's just too much money on the other side but that's why i think mexico's key as well because that's where the it could really accentuate usa and mexico but fingers crossed i think it's essential because we've seen the schedule if the usa and had these games is playing Concacaf teams it's this is not going to go anywhere and it's uh it's disappointing and and filippo uh he has a, a stream to get ready. He's doing Brazil. Argentina. you got to be pumped, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for this one. I think Brazil needs to start bouncing back. Um, playing against Messi in the Maracanã. They both lost the last game too, which I think is an incredible subplot as well. Yeah, I mentioned always Brazil and Argentina is always a a crazy, crazy game, and um, a game we very much care about more. Uh, and I, it's they talk about very often how. U.S.-Mexico rivalry is special. It is special, actually, the U.S.-Mexico rivalry. But I, I'll say this. I said this before, and I'll say it again. Brazil and Argentina is the largest rivalry in national team history. It's the best. We just don't get to see it enough. We got to see yeah. it. We don't but see it as just, much as U.S.-Mexico. It's just that they, um, 
like the thing with USA Mexico, there's a rivalry, but there's also like some some friendship among us because we're two countries that we don't hate each other as much as in the past few years some people try to portray that way. We don't really hate each other, the US and Mexico. There's a lot of Mexican Americans in the US. Uh, but going on Brazil and Argentina, I can assure you there's not many Brazilians living in Argentina. There's not many Argentines living in Brazil. And there is zero friendship in that rivalry. There's a lot of hatred in that rivalry, like legitimate hatred, some of it extremely unhealthy. Uh, even like you talked about government or whatever, I don't know much about the new president of Argentina and even the Brazilian, and I'm following that. But in the past, multiple governments have been <laughs> saying some nasty things They'll to each other. undercut each other, yeah. Yes, there's a lot of like bad blood among those two countries that extends outside. There, As far as I know, it's nothing like, no geopolitics or anything. It's just a cultural shock that the two cultures don't. And, and I talked to an Argent. I have friends from Argentina. Okay. It's not every Argentine, it's not every Brazilian, but I have a friend from Argentina. And once we were talking about this and he said, there's a big cultural shock between Brazil and Argentina. I'll tell you why Argentina. When you think about it, what's their dance again? It's um tango. That they, they the, the tango. Very, the, the tango, tango and the, the samba, obviously. Yeah, but the samba is Brazilian. So he yes, was saying, those are the two sides. What I meant. He was like, when you think of Argentina, you think of the tango. It's like a very like it's like very dry and very serious style of dancing. Very direct. Yeah, very, very direct. And then when you think of Brazil, you think of Ronaldinho at the beach drinking some beer with some samba carnival. It's like these cultures don't really mesh well together, and it extends far <laughs> beyond soccer. So this rivalry is crazy. It's much different. You go back, it's like it's violent. Um, I mean. Wasn't it two years ago that that two Argentine players got deported mid-game? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, there's always something wild in these games. And the fact that this one is in the Maracana, this will probably be Messi's last game in the Maracana. He played there before, right? Yeah. He played there the World Cup final. Played in the Maracana. And Endrick is on the bench for Brazil, which is probably, like, the biggest prospect Brazil's had since oh, Neymar. Just an year. amazing talent. And just just pull highlight reels. I, I You'll see highlight reels from Endrick that he does things that Messi and Neymar sometimes you don't quite see because he's just a, this incredible athlete as well, just technical skills as well for days. It's insane. And then he's going to be on the bench, and he's very much expected to play due to a few injuries. So it's one of those games that you it could, it has the potential to be a historic game. Uh, depending on what happens. So I'm very excited for it. Um, Brazil and Argentina, U.S. and Mexico are two games that always give me goosebumps before it starts. I these are they're probably my favorite games. It's like Brazil and Argentina and U.S. and Mexico are my favorite games to watch, even though I watch more club soccer, obviously, and I think club soccer is a bit more entertaining than national team outside of like World Cup. But these are the two derbies that I love watching. Yeah. I never get tired of them. And this could be a discussion for another time because I'm, I'm sure we can't put it, wrap it up in a couple minutes, but you're doing a live stream and Filippo is an incredible content creator, gets a huge audience, an audience that big networks are not getting with your live streams, with uh, your YouTube channel. And obviously that goes to social media. And we're at a, a time, obviously a time where it, on the surface, it looks like soccer is doing great in this country. And it is. But it's such a splintered sport. You know, the Premier League with this huge broadcast deal, the Champions League making headway on CBS with this incredible studio show with, you know, wall-to-wall -wall coverage. They've gotten into, they've created a whole vertical. They have a 24-hour channel. Men in Blazers has created a, 
a vertical of their own. I've watched some of the stuff, including our good friend Hercules podcast. It's all good except for that mm-hmm. podcast, but I'm just kidding. No, he's very Oh, I, hey, it's I was good. in that podcast. I know. Man. No, I love I, he's he Hercules is is excellent. That we was the only him. good episode, right? That was the only good episode. No, I'm just I haven't seen the whole library. I'll get back to you, but I'll, I have some time to kill and I'll do it. But you know, th- there's that and there's some good stuff out there. But um, even this USA game, it just feels like we're talking about it, but no one cares in the US uh the bigger picture in the U.S. because you have Monday night football. And I know we're not going to take that audience, but we're at a stage where we need to see some progress. And I think what you and 11 Yanks and Sam with Yank Report are doing and some of the, the social media creators is excellent. And it's got some audience, but that audience doesn't always cross over to some other areas. Um, I I know there's a lot of things like I, I, I'll tune into the CBS show and it's they're doing stuff with their jerseys, and that, that doesn't really do it for me. But I, I, I get that that's part of the coverage. And I'm wondering what would work where everyone would come in to watch something. I mean, a smart show, obviously, that speaks directly to the soccer fan. It doesn't down speak to them. But what is out there? I, mean, we, I love the fact we have all these different outlets. But what, what was something that you would like to see, a show that is perfect for Filippo, that you would tune in on a regular basis where maybe we'd see this progress coming um, for the, Um, for the United States soccer audience. I think two things, Uh, all the TV shows I seen, they don't really catch my attention and no offense to anyone. I think everyone has to be who they are. And we're glad they're there more the merrier, but I think they're all very soft. Everyone's like very afraid of speaking their mind. And I think even like when we talked about the uncomfortable situation, they're, I do think I annoy a lot of people that are within the Federation sometimes because I don't think I cross the line ever, but I do think I, 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 I take it to their limit of their patience. I would say that of certain things I say, I don't think I've ever crossed the line of being disrespectful in some way, shape or form. And if I did, it was probably like joking. I like to joke. You saw it in the game. I like to joke. I like to have fun. And I was trying to get everyone to have fun there as much as I could while trying to like enjoy the game too and not be nervous about it. But I think something more, that feels more authentic and passionate people discussing, debating, disagreeing, and putting out points. The second thing is if you have a big budget, which I don't have a big budget, but like big media that has big budget, make good content that is uncensored. I think kicking it, which um, CBS is doing, is probably the only thing, in my opinion, that they have gotten right. And I'm not, once again, I'm not bashing all the other TV shows. Some people might like it, but kicking it is the only well, one. Well, it's just I not found. for you. It's not for you. Maybe yeah. for other people. But again, we're not. I, I, I've looked at numbers, and it's not where we would like it to be. We want a bigger audience, and it's not there yet. Yeah, yeah. But then when I looked at kicking it, I was like, you see, this is actually quite interesting because these players are. I know they're not being 100 like they're not saying everything they think they do need to hold. But that's everyone. Like you're. When you have a camera in front of you, you're never going to be the same one you are when there's not a camera in front of you. Uh, and that one was the closest thing I got to that. I actually enjoyed that show. Uh, outside of that, I haven't enjoyed any of the shows, any of the articles, or any of the coverage so far. And that's not meant to offend. That's mostly me. I do think I resemble the average soccer fan. Uh, a lot of the like the Latino community, Mexican community, Brazilian community, I think a lot of them share similar values to what I do in regards to what I want to see in regards to the game coverage based on my interactions with a lot of them. But that's what I would want to see to make it change. And then I think storytelling would be good. Storytelling could improve. I think, for example, the Behind the Crest, they, they don't do a good job there. 
uh, it seems more like Greg Berhalter PR than an actual genuine like show. And and one thing that'll be interesting is to show the drama, show issues too, and things that wouldn't really hurt the team. Sure, like I don't want them to put like footage of like the Gio Reyna issue. That's the not f- that. that's the fear. They don't want to give too much information, but fine tune it where a little bit. I get you, man. Where you said, give yeah. us a little access. Yes, yes. Uh, give us give us a little like some stories that are controversial or, or things that happened there that we we as fans will be discussing. It's like, no, Tim Ream was right on that. Like against like, I don't know, Tim Ream and, and A-Rob have a discussion and dinner and it, it gets a little bit spicy. They like, they don't like this. It's like, they, they, I guess they disagree. And as long as it doesn't really hurt the team, like, like for example, for again, don't put the Gio Reyna Burhalter thing. That's exposing too much. That would be bad. But that something like that, let's say they disagree with tactics or player selection, show that, show a little bit of that after the camp, obviously. Because that will get us to discuss, like, are you with Reem? Are you with A-Rob? Who did you agree with? Oh, he's wrong. Oh, no. Like, these things matter. These stories, drama, uh, make people care. You watch the behind the crest thing. You're like, why do you care? You don't. Like, you don't. So, um, <sighs> talked about this quite a bit with Brett, the Brett Oppenheim that invited And that's what we were there. We're looking, how do we get the hook in? How do we find a way to engage it? Because the audience content is king, Max. Just well, the, follow, the audience is the audience is sophisticated. The audience wants to roll up their sleeves. I believe follow, it. Because follow Formula One's formula and also yeah. look at Brett's TV show. At, follow at the Selling Mexican Sunset. formula too, because you mentioned Mexico and you watch those shows. I mean, they yeah. they'll argue about <laughs> they'll say who should be the Pachuca left back. It's a forty-five minute argument, and I think mm-hmm. that's okay because we're 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 afraid to argue, and that's a natural reaction. Um, maybe not to the, to the degrees, like what you mentioned, where the exposure of like the Gio Reyna, are we, you know, but just a little bit, even, we don't even have that. And I think if we can get closer to that, that would be a, a breakthrough moment. Cause we don't agree. Clearly yeah, we don't I all think, agree on things. I think, um, one issue, not trying to throw a jab on anyone. It's even the uncomfortable situation we had with the guy from us soccer, which once again, not just Brett, us soccer received us they were very good hosts to us uh, that's, but Felipe, that's a but, breakthrough moment i would have never thought i would see you guys there and i know it's uncomfortable for them but there i think there's a moment there where you say all right we're gonna it may not happen again yeah but, but i happened. but i felt i felt like he specifically without giving names he wanted more of like um put us in a corner it's like you want to work together want to have this this is fun right so certain things have to change like that's not how it works the best thing you would want is for us to continue the way we are. Uh, that's the best thing for U.S. soccer because people are enjoying this. Clearly, changing is not the way. And we're not going to change. You know this. You're not going to change either. But I'm just saying, like, um, what I usually say is, you know how they put sometimes, what do you call this uh, thing? The you blinders on the horses. The blinders on the horses. Uh, and then you don't have a lot of vision. You can't yeah. see everything. So that's what U.S. soccer has. They have blinders uh-huh. here. And they only look forward right here. They don't have that vision of, like, they don't have vision. That's that's. So you're saying point. more F1 and less horse racing? Yes, yes. Which again, <laughs> I guess the numbers speak for themselves. F1 is doing better than horse racing. Yeah, man. Did you watch that race in Vegas? I, I stayed up late and watched a little bit of it. It looked like Super Mario. It. it looked like a video game. It was like Super Mario World, but it was yeah, real I cars. <laughs> I want to see the 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 highlights and everything. I know yeah. Brett went there right after he was with us. I saw um, some photos, and Brett yeah. Oppenheim, who's a, a is a, a huge. Uh, just champion of U.S. soccer, uh, and we need to lean into those people too that really want to invest in that. So we're thrilled that he's there. Yeah, 
Habiba, you have a lot on your plate, but I appreciate you joining. So making some t- making more time for me. I feel like you're probably we're probably sick of each other at this point, but not the case. Carved not out, yet, not yet. Not yet. Carved out some time. He's a good dude, and uh, joining us here at the business end. Catch him in on Tactical Manager TV on YouTube, and where all Tactical Manager is found. It's worth your time. We'll be back here with Check Complete as we get ready for the summer of soccer. Euros almost fit, uh, complete. Nations League, Copa America coming as well. We'll talk about that next on the Soccer OG. Time now for Check Complete, and I'm sure you heard the news that Miami Hard Rock Stadium will be hosting the Copa America final. And I think a lot of people thought that was a foregone conclusion. Miami, this megalopolis in the United States. See, that's not true from Miami. This is big news. And I also want to say that the reason it's in Miami, a big portion of the credit goes to Lionel Messi. So Miami is benefiting by his presence at Inter-Miami. They're benefiting from the teammates he's bringing in. And now we're hearing, uh, um, you know, Luis Suarez possibly coming in. Uh, the Manchester United goalkeeper, whose name escapes me. Why am I drawing a blank? Sorry, folks. David La Gea. David De Gea uh, possibly coming. So that's getting better. Now they're going to have a... Copa America final. The opener is going to be in Atlanta. I think the semis are going to be in LA and in Las Vegas. So really incredible. The World Cup, as I said earlier in the show, might be looking, the FIFA folks going, whoa, these guys kind of nailed it. I don't agree with it in being in Miami for the record. And again, I am from there. Uh, a final of that nature has to be in New York or LA or Dallas, Jerry's world. There's just not a, I mean, Miami, it's, they're going to get a lot of tourists, uh, and I know they're hoping that it's going to be Lionel Messi. And who's to say it's not going to be Argentina the way they have played, uh, even though coming off a loss. This, I'm doing this before the Brazil game. Maybe they're coming off two losses. But there's a good bet that Argentina will be there. And maybe Argentina-Brazil, and it would be this incredible event. Imagine Argentina-Brazil. And we talked about it with tactical manager in the Copa America final in Miami. Tell me that the folks at Comebol and CONCACAF won't look at that and say, oh, we got to do this all the time. So when we look at the Copa America, we've got to uh, hope for the best. You hope for an Argentina-Brazil final. You hope for USA and Mexico in the semifinals. And you hope for all the stars to shine their brightest because it's about money. And this thing can create a lot of interest in money, especially with the World Cup in 2026. We hope it's a perfect storm. We know it's not going to be. But you hope you get as stormy as you possibly can get between then and now. So... Uh, Miami is going to be the host. Again, it's 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 sh- on where we're at. It, it shouldn't be, but I'm, I got no. I, I don't think it should be, but I got no complaints. It's still it's 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 a smart move in many ways. Uh, a lot of people say it should have happened because of the proximity to South America. But well, guess what? Miami's been close to South America since cavemen were around. Even beyond that, when dinosaurs were around, Miami was close to South America. What is different now is Lionel Messi is in Miami. Facts, facts. And I've talked to people about, do we have a soccer capital in the USA? Well, Miami's moving closer to it because you have this Argentina. I mean, it doesn't have to be the US soccer capital. It has to be the soccer capital. A lot of business is being done in Miami, even though it's a small place, even though it's a more mostly tourist-driven, but it is moving forward more so than any other city. I hope LA gets back into that, but... Uh, you know, when they're not going to be involved in the World Cup at this very moment, then maybe that's not really on the cards. Miami will be involved in the World Cup. 
So the Copa America, the USA have made it in Panama, and we're, we're going to have this incredible 16-team field. The USA and uh, Panama are also moving to the Nations League semifinals. And that competition is going, this summer is going to be outrageous. So you have that already in place. Uh, again, I'm recording this before Mexico has to overcome a two-goal aggregate deficit to Honduras. I think they will make it. And I think American fans who even hate Mexico have to be pulling for Mexico. Hopefully Honduras gets in. I mean, they were excellent. And I would say this, the United States, if they played Honduras down there, uh, they would have lost the way the Catrachos played. So that is there as well. But we want Mexico. We want the strongest six teams from CONCACAF. So you want USA, Mexico, Canada, Panama, I guess Costa Rica, and maybe Honduras, maybe Jamaica. Those are the seven teams, six. Not Trinidad and Tobago, all due respect, but congratulations on another famous win over the U.S. Let's switch to the Euros. They still have to finish their field. That's going to be in Germany in the summer of 2024. Really enjoy that. One country hosting a major event, and it's Germany. I mean, that's the one you want to go to, right? Where you can take a train and go from Berlin to Köln to Hamburg to Dusseldorf, wherever, and see these incredible games. So uh, much like the World Cup in 06. So Germany was going to be an amazing host. And that may be something that we see less and less of, a one country hosting. So the Euros are going to be interesting. I was watching the Italy-Ukraine game. So the top two teams in each group are into the field. I think it's like 20 teams. And now they have the playoffs to determine the last few teams that make the field for next summer. Yeah, I'm just counting it. So there's 10 groups. Uh, Italy squeaked through. So it's important. I mean, holders should automatically qualify. But if you don't have the holder, Italy won the Euros four years ago. It's a real bummer. You don't overcome that right away. Thankfully, they made it. Italy's not going to do great. Their team does not look all that exciting. But they were able to make it. And now they uh, um, will make the tournament complete. There were some impressive qualifying. France, what did they beat? Gibraltar 14-0. And they were still celebrating late, which uh, which is really bad optics. Don't do that. Don't do that when you're beating a team that badly. Come on, France. So France looks like they're going to be a player. They've been great at the World Cup, not so great in the Euros. I think England's going to win it. They won their group without defeat. Six points clear of Italy. And England, no one's developing better young talent to go with that old guard. England's my pick to do it. There were uh, good... Belgium went undefeated in qualifying. Hungary went undefeated in qualifying. In a somewhat challenging group, because there were no easy games. They had Serbia, who qualified. Montenegro, who were peppering around. Bulgaria, who had no wins at eight. I thought they were coming around. And then Lithuania, who aren't very good. Uh... Romania undefeated in 10 games, finishing first in their group. And Portugal, a perfect 10 out of 10 to win Group J ahead of Slovakia, who qualified. Uh, That was a bad group. I mean, Portugal had to be licking their chops. Luxembourg, Iceland, Bosnia, Herzegovina, and Liechtenstein. I think that's, uh, I think UEFA, isn't there a stipulation that Liechtenstein and Luxembourg should not be in the same group for qualifying? Isn't that, isn't it written somewhere? Perhaps not. My favorite story out of the Euros. Also, I just want to talk about Group B. It's no longer the Czech Republic. It's Czechia. 
Chechia is how we refer to former Czechoslovakia, now the Czech Republic, Chechia, who qualified at the expense of Poland. But ahead of Chechia in Group E was Albania. Albania has qualified for the Euros, and you need that plucky upstart, that Cinderella story, and they have one in the Albanians who have, you know, there's so many Albanians out there, so many, you know, the Albanian and the Kosovo part of the world where they've come out and played for different countries. Um, they are going to be a tough one to knock out. Uh, Ned, Nadim Bajrami and company, they're not going to be a tough, I, let me reel that back. They will probably be an easy one to knock out, but they are there. And I think that's fantastic to see them uh, make that run into the Euros. They made the Euros before. And was it Euros 2016, I believe? Uh, that's They did. They actually won a game. They beat Romania. And Romania's back in there again. So maybe they... So Albania, much better Albanian team than it was back in 2016. It's a 2014 tournament. I said that the Euro final between Italy and England was on par with the World Cup finals that we've had in recent memories. The Euros are where it's at. Now, the Copa America wants to get there, and hopefully they can make those inroads and show UEFA. You're not running away with this at any point. So the qualifications complete just about. Enjoy it. The summer's going to be fantastic. We'll be here along the ride on the Soccer OG. Rate, review, download, subscribe, tell a friend. Check out the Soccer OG on my YouTube page under my name, Max Bretos. We've got you covered. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back again next week with uh, we get, start to wrap up 2023. And as I always like to say at the end of every program, Placido Domingo!